God is good. And all the time? Don't mind me as I just move things around up here. There we go. Ah, well, good morning, men. Some of you have higher voices than usual. Ladies, it's good to have you here with us. Uh, but then just remember everything that happens this morning stays here. Uh, we'll have you sign you know, a vow as you leave that you're not going to share anything as you, as you leave. Um, no, actually, I'm sure that uh, when the sermon's over, there'll be several of you correcting me on the things that I'm saying to the men to try to get it right. I'm just kidding. You know, my wife, it's very important. My wife always tells me, you know, they don't, I don't think they get it when you're joking sometimes. You need to tell them you're joking so they don't take you seriously. See, my wife is influencing me, and she's not even here. Well, as I, as I thought about this week and, and as I was looking forward to this date, I was like, you know, we need to, we need to talk to the men. We need to have a men moment, right? Ladies, most of the ladies will be gone. You know, they have over 180 ladies on the retreat today. Isn't that wonderful? And so uh, we're missing them, definitely, but, uh, but it's good for us to have a moment here. As I was thinking about this time, I thought about, uh, of course, a book that came out quite a while ago. You might remember, Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Where? Or somewhere. I still haven't figured it out, right? <laughs> and so I thought, well, men are from where? Where are men from? So, of course, I mean, I just had a heyday going on the Internet and just looking at all the quotes about manhood and men and women and all the different, watching a couple of videos, you know, on people defining manhood and, and so forth. And it was, I got to tell you, it was highly entertaining. In fact, uh, I think, I think it'd be interesting just to, just to kind of have a little bit of fun here this morning. I found a, a little kind of comparison from John Gray's book on women and men. And let's see if some of these fit. Women, a woman's response, a sense of self is defined through her feelings and the quality of her relationships. A man's sense of self is defined through his ability to achieve results. Women are motivated and empowered when they feel cherished. Men are motivated and empowered when they feel needed. Women need to be listened to when they are unhappy and disappointed because just Talking about their problems makes them feel better. It is difficult for a man to listen to a woman when she is unhappy or disappointed because he feels like a failure. I love this next one. Women tend to give hints when they want something from their men. Men are unable to understand hints. (laughs) I can remember... I can remember years ago getting married at the ripe old age of 21, almost 22. And I still remember just saying to Lisa, just tell me, (laughs) just tell me what it is you want, what you need. I don't don't get it. Just tell me. It would make it so much easier. And she couldn't understand why I couldn't understand, right? When men are silent, women imagine the worst and try to make them talk about their problems. (laughs) When men have problems, they need to withdraw and be silent. The last thing they want is to talk about their problems. Mars and Venus. And, of course, there's many, many, many other things. I found an interesting talk on YouTube this week. It was, with a, it was one of the TED Talks. It was by a gentleman named Joe Ehrman. 
It was called Be a Man. Now, he had played sports athletically at, at a university. He played 13 years in the NFL, and he had been pastoring for the last 30 years. And he had this about 15-minute talk on be a man and, and what he felt that meant. And I, I, I agreed with some of the things he had to say. In fact, I thought they were very powerful. It's interesting, he said, one of the things he said, which I agree with, he says, for men, we are taught to compare and compete with all the wrong definitions. We are taught to compare and compete with all the wrong definitions. Now, all you have to do is watch the TV for a little while and you'll see this all over the place. As men, we watch whatever we might watch from sports to movies, sitcoms or anything, advertisements, and you see it all over. We're taught to compare and compete with all the wrong definitions. I love what Ernest Hemingway said. He said, there is nothing noble to being superior to your fellow man. True nobility is being superior to your former self. Just let that sink in. There's nothing noble to being superior to your fellow man. True nobility is being superior to your former self. Several years ago, John Eldridge published a book called Wild at Heart, written for men. And in it, he suggested, if I understood him correctly, he suggested that the greatest fear all men have is to be found out that they are not enough. That they're not enough for whatever the situation is at hand, whatever the task is at hand, to be found out that they don't have what it takes for the task or for the relationship. And so he suggests that men go on a quest to protect themselves from being found out of not being enough. What does it mean to be a man? Well, you could actually, if you want to, you could look up in the dictionary and there's actually a definition for manhood. Now my guess is, and I've done this before, I've asked several people, what is, what's your definition of manhood? What does it mean to be a man? And I've gotten different answers from everybody that I've asked. And my my guess is if I was to hand out pieces of paper and everybody wrote what they felt the definition of manhood is, we'd, we'd have as many different answers as people here today. If you look up in the dictionary, it says manhood, the state or period of being a man rather than a child. Boys in the process of growing to manhood, the transition from boyhood to manhood. There is obviously something there that gives us a sense of growing up. What does that mean? The Apostle Paul wrote these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. What was he talking about? Well, just before chapter 13, the very last verse of chapter 12, verse 31, he says, I will show you the most excellent way. The most excellent way. And then he goes into 1 Corinthians 13, which if you're familiar with the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13 is often referred to as the love chapter. 
Now this morning, as men, and ladies, you get to come along with us. As men, I want us to read, I'm going to read, we'll have it on the screen for you, 1 Corinthians 13 with the lenses of men. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. Does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Do you hear the spirit this morning, men? When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. You see, men, what I want to suggest to you this morning, that the true definition of manhood is found in 1 Corinthians 13. And the only way that is built and grown in us is through the presence of the Holy Spirit through the person of Jesus Christ himself. Period. The Bible talks about a lot of different men. We can go through the Bible from Genesis all the way to the end of the book. And we can find all kinds of men in Scripture, and you won't find one perfect man. You found a lot of men who blew it, who made mistakes, who failed miserably, but God did not give up on them. God kept saying, come on, get up. He reaches out to us, and he calls us to follow him and to be with him because, man, is there one man here who's never made a mistake? Now, the women will say, I know that's not true, right? Every man in here has made mistakes and failed. And the good news is is that Jesus still says, come follow me. Come follow me, and I will teach you how to be a man. 
I will teach you how to love like real men love because Jesus Christ was a real man. He showed us not just what manhood looked like, but what humanity ultimately looked like for men and women. To love sacrificially, to care, to forgive, to keep on going. And so I praise God that when I look at the scriptures, I don't find a perfect man. You find people like everybody from Moses to David to Peter to to Saul who became Paul, people who had blown it miserably, horribly. And yet God still said, I love you, and I want you to be part of my kingdom, and I want you to make a difference for my kingdom on earth. So men, if you're here today, and you've made some mistakes, you've made some failures, and you think, oh, man, I've blown it. Pastor John, if you only knew my story, if you knew what's going on in my heart, you would understand that God doesn't have a purpose for me. You need to throw that away. You need to forget about that. And you need to let God do what he wants to do with your life. Because the good news I've found out in my own journey is I've journeyed with many others that you don't even have a clue of the incredible things God has in store for your future. Not even a clue. My wife and I constantly, now praise God this June we'll be married 30 years. And I am blessed with an incredible woman of God. And I'll tell you, we still, even just last night, with the things that God's doing in our life, we go, how did we, how did we get here? God is so good. God is blessing us in ways that we would have never imagined. Solely by grace. <laughs> not because we worked and earned it. So men, take courage. We may have made mistakes, but you know one of my favorite words in Scripture is the word but, but God, (laughs) right? So-and-so did this, this happened, but God decided this was going to happen. God was going to keep moving forward, and God will keep moving forward in our lives, men. You see, when the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church. That is literally impossible outside of a thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. There's no way I can love my wife like Christ loves the church without Christ living in me. It's impossible. When the scripture says, wives submit, the scripture is not saying just because of a man, just because of gender that the female is supposed to submit. It talks about submitting to a love like that of Christ's. It talks about submitting to a man who himself has submitted to the very reign and authority of God. Now that's the type of person I could submit to. Jesus shows us what it's like. Jesus said these words in John chapter 8. He said, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth And the truth will make you free. I love the message translation when it says, if you stick with this, living out what I tell you, you are my disciples for sure. Then you will experience for yourselves the truth and the truth will free you. Now, I've mentioned this before. You know, there's that saying, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. And that's used in institutions and universities, but it's incomplete. Because Jesus made it clear that we are set free when we steep ourselves in his life and his teachings. 
that's where the truth is and that's where the freedom is. And so men, if we want to be set free from some of the baggage we're carrying, if we want to be set free from some of the habits, we want to be set free from all of that, we have got to trust Jesus Christ with our lives 110%. And we have to keep showing up to be discipled by the master every day of our life. See, it's interesting. I was listening to a podcast the other day by a coach who's been very successful. And he's, he says, I'm absolutely opposed to New Year's resolutions. He says, it might work for some people, but we get this big old goal that we want to do in the new year, and, and we really don't realize how much work it's going to take to get there. And so we try in the first few days, and then we, we fail a day or so, and so we just kind of give up. He says, here's the key. Here's the key to success, to anything that you're trying to do. He says, it's about creating a link in the chain. He says, in every single day, is another link. And before you know it, you have so many links, it's hard to break the chain. So he says, whether it's with exercise, whether it's with, with studying, whatever it is, that's the key. And men, what I want to suggest to you today is the key to growing more as a man and what, how God describes what being a man is in 1 Corinthians 13 is we have to keep showing up with Jesus every day. And every day is that link, and that link becomes this strong chain. And before you know it, you keep getting down further on in the chain. You go, how did I end up here? I've changed. It's because we kept showing up to Jesus one day at a time. One day at a time. Jesus said, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Man, there are a lot of things out there that are tempting us to lose our soul. There are a lot of things out there. The internet's full of it. The TV's full of it. Some of the societies we live in are full of it. Some of the relationships we're in are full of it. And we've got to be careful. And I want to suggest to you today, now I, I'm, I'm going I'm to take a little bit more time, men, all right? But you're men, so you can suck it up, right? <laughs> we're going to tough it up a little bit. Hey, we have some blessed women in the kitchen who stayed here to fix food for us. So we get to go right here to the food, okay? Don't have to travel far, so just hold on to your appetite just a second. I want to share with you a few things that, that for me have been very helpful. That by the grace of God, hopefully I continue to grow as a man and that there's more man in me and less boy. I came across uh, an organization years ago when I was involved with a men's ministry called Men's Fraternity. They're on the internet. Uh, they're based, um, I, forget, I think, out of Arkansas. Christian organization called Men's Fraternity. And when I was looking for a good definition of manhood, I liked what I found in their organization. I want to share that definition with you because I believe this definition, in a sense, basically supports 1 Corinthians 13. But here's how they define what being a man is, what manhood is contains four things. The first one is accept responsibility. The difference between a boy and a man is that a man accepts responsibility. The second thing is reject passivity. So they suggest that a man is someone who accepts responsibility, rejects passivity. Third, leads courageously. Leads courageously. And fourth, lives for God's rewards, not the world's. Now, I like that definition. 
And that definition has helped me over the years as I've kind of come into situations at home or at, at the church or in relationships. And it's helped me. In this situation, am I accepting responsibility? In this situation, am I, am I rejecting passivity? In this situation, am I leading courageously? And in this situation, am I living for God's rewards or the world's rewards? And to me, when you read 1 Corinthians 13, love accepts responsibility. Love rejects passivity. Love leads courageously. And love lives for God's rewards, not the world's. So I like this definition. And we could go into a lot of things with this definition, but, but we have this moment. And so, men, I want, to, I want to talk about something that might make some of us nervous here this morning. But there's one thing. If I just have a few minutes, there's one thing that I want us to think about because I believe this is a big one. Have you ever heard of the Pareto principle or the 20-80 principle or some might refer to it as the 80-20 principle? The idea, the concept is that 20% will give you an 80% return. Okay? So for instance, potluck. 20% of the people bring the food and 80% of the people eat it, right? <laughs> I'm joking. Although that's sort of true. But basically, the concept is, if you will put work into this 20% area, you'll get an 80% return. It's just if you focus on that one, it'll give you this big return. And so today, I, I want to suggest that what I'm going to talk to you about here in the next couple of minutes is one of those 20-80 things. Men, if you would put 20% effort into this one area, if we will, you'll get an 80% return. Now, as men, we're going, that's not like a good deal, right? Because men, it's all about the deal, right? When men go shopping... Doesn't matter how much it actually cost, it was about the deal we got, right? There you are. This gentleman I heard on the YouTube talk, uh, TED Talk, Be a Man, he mentioned, he mentioned this word, and, 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 and I love this. I had never actually heard of this word before, but with my wife being a therapist, I talked to her about it last night. I said, Have you ever heard of this word before? It's quite interesting. It's called alexithymia. Alexithymia. And this, this man suggests that men suffer from alexithymia. Alexithymia means it's an inability to put emotions and feelings into words. Now, some men right here just got nervous. Pastor John is going there. He's going to talk about feelings. An inability to put emotions and feelings into words. Now, now men, I want to confess to you that it wasn't until the second year of marriage that I knew how to share a feeling. And I had no clue that I did not know how to share a feeling until my wife pointed that out to me. And I can remember times when she would say, but I just want to know how you feel. And I'd say, well, this is how I feel. And she goes, you're not telling me how you feel. You're telling me what you think. And I go, who are you to tell me I'm not telling you what I feel? And we would go on. Well, so we went to one of these things. I think they still have them called a marriage encounter. Now, some of you, yeah, some of you have been there. And you know that when you go to a marriage encounter, your hand falls off because you are writing more than you've written ever in your life. But I want to tell you, on that marriage encounter, I, I can still remember it like it was yesterday. It was at a, we were at a hotel in Orange County by Angel Stadium. I mean, I can, when I drive by there, I have the shakes, you know. 
And I remember, I remember being there, and I remember we were doing this exercise on learning how to share our feelings, and I was writing, and I remember being in that hotel room because they have you work as a good, and then you go to your rooms, you know, as couples, and you work these things. And, and I remember I shared a feeling for the first time. I didn't even know it, and my wife was so excited. You did it. I go, what I do? <laughs> you shared your feelings. I go, I did? <laughs> yes. And I began to learn. I began to learn. So men, feelings are important. And being able to share them and express them and to know them are huge in our relationships with each other, with our spouses, with our children, with every relationship that we have. Joe Orman said the American Psychological Association says 80% of American men suffer from some form of alexithymia. 80%. 80%. He says this creates what he calls empathy deficit disorder. <laughs> An inability to understand what other people are feeling and what causes those feelings. And then listen to this. He goes on, he says, this is the precursor to bullying, hazing, dating abuse, gender violence, and violence all over America. It's heavy, but I agree with him. You see, men, every single one of us whether boys or men, have pain. We have pain. There's no one in this place today that has escaped pain. But what are we doing with that pain? Because it's directly tied to our feelings, to our emotions. We can't separate the head and heart. And let's just face it, man, we go years trying to keep the head and heart as far away as we can. But we were created to be whole. And the head and the heart have to work together. What, hey, what have you done with your pain? What are you doing with your pain? This will greatly affect your relationships. And men, I just want to say, I've been next to that bed when people are passing away. More than I would like to say I've been there. And I will tell you over and over and over again, the most important thing to people when they are dying is the relationships. Their relationship with God and the relationship with the people in their life. And this is directly tied into our pain, our feelings, our emotions. And I want to share with you a tool that I have found personally helpful for me to connect my head and my heart. And it's not perfectly done, but it's something that has been helpful to me. It's something one of my mentors, friends, has taught me. And it's been helpful to me. It helps me get my heart and my head together, get my feelings and my thoughts together. Because oftentimes, men, when we're feeling a lot of stress, and that's not all stress, but when we're feeling stressed or we're feeling anxious or worried or, or just unresolved, a lot of times because our head and heart are trying to connect. And we're trying to do everything we can to keep it from connecting. And so this is a tool that I have found very helpful in connecting my head and my heart and understanding what's going on inside of me and also a way for me to be more specific in surrendering things to Jesus. Now, I shared this with you as a church quite a while ago, but I want to share it again. This is understanding your five core feelings. See, there are five core feelings. Now, you can go on the Internet and you can find a whole chart of feelings, a whole wheel of feelings, but I, as I understand it, our five core feelings 
All the feelings stem off of these five core feelings. And it's very simple to remember. Okay, it's these five things. Mad, sad, glad, fearful, and hurt. Okay, all of our feelings come out of those five core feelings. And a mentor of mine a while back said, John, it would be good for you to journal your five core feelings. Do it as often as you want, as little as you want. It doesn't have to be, you know, a page on each of them. Just write it down. And so from time to time, what I do is I'll sit down. What am I mad about? What am I sad about? What am I glad about? Fearful about? What am I hurt about? And, you know, there are times, to give you an example, it was a Sunday morning a few years back. And Sunday morning for me and my family is like, ah. It's the one morning all week I don't set the alarm. I wake up whenever I wake up. And it's that morning where we stay in our pajamas as long as we can, and we make the pancakes and have this big breakfast and just kind of just, just rest and enjoy ourselves as a family. There was one Sunday morning I couldn't figure it out as I was there helping make the breakfast. I was, I was feeling stressed. And I said to my wife, I go, I don't know why it's Sunday morning. I should be totally relaxed, but I feel this, this energy in me that's stressed. And she said, you need to go journal. <laughs> Just go ahead. I'll keep doing breakfast. No, no, I can't. You know, I'm trying to figure it out. Go. So I went in, I went in the living room and I started journaling. What am I mad about? What am I sad about? Hey, I'm just going, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm upset the way the Lakers are being run these days, you know, and doing all this. I mean, whatever it is, you put it down. And as I went through, I got through, I got through the first four and I said, well, you know, man, I, there's nothing there. And then finally I got to hurt. And I said, well, I don't feel hurt by anything. I don't I keep thinking. I keep thinking. Finally, boom, the Holy Spirit enlightened me. There was something I was hurt about. And as I wrote out what that hurt was and then surrendered it to God, all that energy left my body. It was left. The head and the heart got connected. And the, part, the thing about our feelings, too, is that what I love about it is that I, 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 I believe we should all surrender to Jesus every day. Surrender every day. But this has helped me surrender specific things. Lord, I didn't know I was mad about this still. Forgive me. I give it to you. Lord, I didn't know that, that I was fearful about this. Why am I fearing when I can trust you? I give that to you. Helpful little tool. If it's something, men, that you can find helpful, I encourage you to do it. It's been very helpful to me. I love what Bob Goff said. I just saw this quote yesterday. He said, we are all a little broken. We don't need more varnish. We need a carpenter. Men, we need the carpenter. No amount of varnish is going to cover the pain or cover the feelings of inadequacy or anything else. We need the carpenter to heal and restore and to make us new. We need the carpenter to help us act responsibly and reject passivity and to lead courageously and to live for, for him and not for the world. I've been blessed by several men in my life. I had two incredible grandfathers. I had good uncles. I've had mentors in my life that have been wonderful men of God. I have colleagues and, and friends. And the thing when I look back this week as I thought about those relationships with those men, the biggest thing I could point to was that they chose to be present in my life. And men, sometimes we're not good at just being present. 
They were present in my life, and they were men who sought God, who trusted God with their life, who encouraged me and built me up. And men, studies show that most of us here don't have one person in our life as a close friend. Now, that's, there's an exception to some of that. Some of us may have some good friends. But are there men in your life that you talk to about serious things besides the weather and sports? Do you have men in your life that you can share pain with? Do you have men in your life that you can confess to? Do you have men in your life that you know will love and accept you no matter what you do? Because there's nothing like that for the journey that is more powerful than having some men alongside of you who care about you in that way. I want to ask, uh, like I told you, we're going a little bit longer, but the food's already for us, I'm sure. I want to ask Bob Knudsen. Bob? Bob is here, I think. Is Bob still here? There he is, right in front. I was looking in the back. I was, I was visiting with Bob and Thelma this week. And for those of you who know the Knudsen, they are some godly people. And, uh, and we are blessed that they are part of God's kingdom here in Cala Mesa. And I am blessed to be your pastor, both you, both you and Thelma. And just as I was visiting with them and talking with them, Bob was sharing about just what he's been experiencing in Jesus, just I think within the last five years or so. And I just said, Bob, you know, we're going to be with other men. Would you just mind as a, as a man of God just to share some of the things that God's been doing in your life? Would you just share some of that? It was a delightful experience, John, as we visited. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, it does just zero in on the reality of Jesus in the life. Yeah, I've been a Seventh-day Adventist most of my living days, you know. <clears throat> but as far as a real close and vibrant uh, relationship with Jesus, it's just happened really over the last few years. Mm. Now, there were things along the way that, uh, you know, got me probably headed uh, to a connection with Jesus, a vibrant one, because I felt it very often. But in uh, October of uh, 1947, no, not 47, 74, uh, our son was killed in an auto accident mm -hmm. that was uh, extremely difficult uh, to deal with. And uh, really, I was angry at God. For what reason? I don't know. Probably poor me. And uh, it, it was a very difficult time in my life. And uh, I, I thought about just chucking the whole business. Mm. But uh, somehow or other, through my wife, of 64 years now, John, <laughs> <laughs> and others of my fellow uh, workers, it was on academy work at that time, uh, they pointed me to uh, Steps of Christ and Desire of Ages, and so I, I really dug into those things because the anger wasn't doing anything good for me, hmm. none. It was just causing me to go faster and faster down a slippery slope. So I really got into those books at that time. And at the same, uh, the same year, uh, we, we had planned a ski vacation with our whole family. And Rick was the one who had died in the accident uh, on uh, October the 13th. We had uh, friends uh, that said, hey, you know, you need to go and do this. We had plans to go with another couple. It was uh, Dr. Farbach and his family to go to Colorado, and we thought, how can we do this in light of what's happened? 
But they insisted, and other people told us that we ought to do that too. So uh, we did go. And on that vacation, my wife did a boot top fracture in her leg and was laid up in the bed for a long, long time. Because back then they didn't pin so much, they casted them and so forth. But anyway, uh, a lady in the conference office who knew us very well, and we knew them very well, uh, suggested that, you know, while she was convalescing, she could, uh, might be blessed and enjoy the Venden tapes. <laughs> and so, uh, boy, Maury Venden's sermons on tape consumed a lot of our time, and I think it was uh, incredibly effective in doing the rehabilitation of her leg and, and my getting out of this bitterness that I had had. So uh, they were non-trivial. And then about uh, five years ago or so, we started a little group in our home of sitting. Uh, some of the people in the church here, the Esridges were there and, uh, and some other folks. And uh, we had a delightful time and uh, our um, textbook was uh, Desire of Ages. Actually, it was the last few chapters of the Desire of Ages uh, that they now put into a little uh, soft cover book the passion of love, mm. and we went through that, and uh, what a blessing that was with uh, those fellow church members that we studied there. Towards the end of, uh, the, um, of our study together, Ray and I were visiting, he says, I see you have a lot of interest in the life of Jesus, and I says, I need him. <laughs> but I didn't really know him, I don't think, on, a, on the basis like I do now. Mm. Because I told you, John, that uh, now I may experience a peace and a serenity that I had not previously experienced. Amen. Amen. And it's all about him. Amen. Amen. So uh, he gave me the book. And I read through several times, and I lost it in, at home. And here it is, victory in Jesus. It's the only way. Hmm. I had struggled all my life trying to be a good guy. I've prayed those kinds of prayers. God, help me to be good. Help me to you know, get it together with you, et cetera, et cetera. But this pastor, who is now dead, he died just a few months ago, Bill Liversidge, uh, he spent a lot of time in Romans 5 hmm. and the beauties of uh, what was said there by the apostle. And uh, so this book has meant a lot to me, and I think that the whole thing put together is that I came to know Jesus really well. And uh, every day, I pray for the last phrase of his prayer to be answered in my prayer. Mm. When uh, I say, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, uh, it goes like this, something like this. Uh, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and these, that's the believers, know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you, Father, have for Jesus, your Son, may be in us. Mm, yeah. I thought, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and then the very last phrase in that prayer, which I cherish and pray for that prayer to be answered again and again and again, is that Jesus himself prayed to be in us. Mm. For the longest time, I didn't know how that would come about, but uh, I've discovered now yeah. that uh, spending some time with him, pondering the goodness of his life, the beauty of his life, the way he related to all sorts of people, uh, that now is kind of the focal point of my life and my prayer life. And in fact, I pray that when, I'm, when I come again 
something that is not Christ-like. And I said, Jesus, you know, uh, you're perfect. You were perfect uh, and uh, without sin. And I said, um, I, I'm, want, I'm wanting you to go and take care of this issue today. Mm-hmm. And uh, praise his name. Things are different. I, re- I relate to those things much diff- more differently now than I used to mm. when I tried to fix it myself and try and do the right thing. But anyway, John, it was a blessing when we visited, mm. and uh, let's affirm and support each other as we journey on. Amen. Thank you, Bob. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, thank you, Bob. You know, I just wanted Bob to, to share, because as I was visiting with him and he was sharing, I was just so blessed. There's an incredible example of a man of God. Amen. Real, authentic, and uh, just wanting Jesus to live in him and, and, and change the world around him. So thank you, Bob. I just want to say as, as we close up here, thanks for being patient. Uh, but I knew we were men, so we could be tough and we could handle this, right? Um, but I want to say we are in real need of a men's ministry in this church. We are in a real need for, for us as men to come together and to encourage one another, come alongside each other. And so I want to say, if you are interested in that, let me know, because we're going to be starting that. And I want to be able to reach out to you. And, and I'm looking for a group of men that will help me lead that as well. So please do let me know. I'd love to, love to journey together with you. We're going to sing a song in response called Cornerstone. And men, I believe this is the foundation of everything that it's about and what, what I've been trying to say. You see, where are men from? And I don't mean this in an arrogant way or a funny way, but men are literally from God. And so are women. But men, you and I were created not just to be men. We were created to live under the very reign of God and to govern out of the influence of the reign of God, not just because we're men and society tells us so. So we are from God, and God invites us to live under his reign and to govern with his love. And when we do that, there's more of 1 Corinthians 13 happening. There's more of those things happening in our life because the very presence of Jesus is in our life. And so this song that we're going to sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, weak made strong and the Savior's love. Let's pray. Jesus, we are blessed that you created us. And because you created us, Lord, you, that tells us, first of all, that you want a relationship with us. And it also tells us that you have a purpose for us, a purpose to be loved by you and to love like you. And so, Jesus, as men here this morning, We truly do want to give our life away and have you live and love and reign inside of us. So Jesus, I pray that your grace and your power and your love would pour over us here. Fill our lives, Lord, so that each and every day we'll have the grace to keep showing up with you. Each and every day there will be less of us and more of you. Jesus, May your kingdom come and your will be done in all of us as men, as it is in heaven. Would you take a moment now just in silent prayer to talk to Jesus this morning? I usually kind of give a blessing, but I just feel impressed today, men. Just keep showing up. Just keep showing up every day with Jesus. Let those links build 
Don't worry about where you're going to end up. Just make it every day. Show up with Jesus. God bless you.